Guys, you've heard all about Strava Craft Coffee, but you can now subscribe and save 20% with a Strava Craft Coffee subscription. We know a bunch of you have taken advantage of the one-time code, and you can always save 20% off your favorite coffee, but now you can do it forever and never have to put your credit card info again. If you've never tried the rich CBD-infused Strava Craft Coffee, you can use code DNVR20 and save 20% off your first order. But if you're a huge fan of Strava, you can now save 20% off by heading to their website and subscribing. You have the option of getting your coffee every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks, 20% off every time. They'll ship it straight to you. You never have to think about it. And, uh, and you'll always have a supply of coffee. And hey, if you feel like trying out some Strava Craft coffee, just once, you can come down to the DNVR bar. We've got Strava Craft CBD infused cold brew on tap in a kegerator. Everyone has uh, given it rave reviews. So head on down to StravaCraftCoffee.com or head on down to the DNVR bar, try out some Strava Craft coffee and consider subscribing. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. You've heard all about it. They'll put a dynamic education at your fingertips. They've got really great professors who bring the real world into the classroom, rigorous programs, affordable programs, and really a program for anything that you may want to do uh, to go back and get your education. So msudenver.edu slash online is the website to scope out all they have to offer. 40 plus online and hybrid programs 750 total classes make sure you check out msudenver.edu slash online today my boys the trio is intact and here we go i know this is going to be a blast of an episode i can't wait to start my week with you guys man it's great to have the whole squad back together we've had some crazy times uh, around here and you know sports coming back it feels like a wild scramble for us uh, as a company and in a great way uh, and then on top of that, I'm moving this week, boys. So uh, uh, I'm really uh, packing everything into one week here. But uh, it's great to be back on the podcast. Hated missing as much as I did last week. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to be here today. And I'm glad that the Broncos are back in the building. That means we're we're getting close. Wait, did I just say that? The Broncos are back? The Broncos are back, baby. The Broncos are back? <laughs> they really are. Uh, and uh, I saw Zach Azani tweeted out today, like, I've been waiting for this since, since March. The whole team's out there on the field for the first time. The Broncos really are back. And you guys actually uh, spoke with Bradley Chubb and Drew Locke at the end of last week. Uh, and uh, I, I felt like there was some interesting stuff there. Mace, I know you had one kind of big takeaway, a little reminder uh, of what it's like to talk to Drew Locke. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, he was he displayed a, a, a maturity, and I would say this: I mean, there's always been a, there's there's always been a, a dynamic personality from him, but you can see a maturation in him from year one to year two, and uh, he certainly 
he certainly is saying the right things and doing the right things to show that he's a leader. He actually talked a little bit about his leadership. Now, uh, one thing that I think is interesting is, um, and something that's going to be of value this year is him talking about guys in the locker room and uh, how they're going to handle all the restrictions that they have to be under in order to preserve what Vic Fangio has called a mini bubble. And he didn't mention it, but uh, it, leadership this year is going to be about keeping about keeping teammates in line in a way that leaders haven't had to do over the years. Now, that being said, I think Drew is equipped to handle it. Part of it is that he's young. He can relate to a lot of the, the new guys coming into the locker room. And part of it is because he shows maturity beyond his years. So, frankly, it's pretty exciting to see. Well, and I think it's it's great, obviously, to have a, a leader like Peyton Manning. Everyone listens to what he does, but Peyton wouldn't be going out during the week anyways, you know? So that, that was never a concern. Drew may be hanging out with the guys, but now if Drew leads by example of not going out, not going to bars and restaurants, not doing those things, then when he says, you can't do that, it may mean a little more than when Peyton says it because Peyton wasn't going to do those things pandemic or not. But with Drew doing it, uh, it that, that's, that's going to mean a lot more, I think, to the guys around it. Yeah, we talked about this last year, and there was that infamous quote from Shelby Harris about how Philip Lindsay couldn't really be a leader on the team because there were two Super Bowl MVPs around walking around that locker room and uh, you know, how are you going to listen to Philip Lindsay when Joe Flacco is walking around? Well, newsflash, Joe Flacco didn't say anything. Um, <laughs> so no one had anything to listen to. But, you know, I think – and we said it back then, and, and we'll say it now. There's something about the young players who are the, the core of this team having a voice. And Drew Locke is the center of that. And you're right, Zach. You know, yeah, you know, he's got a girlfriend, and he, he just moved into a house, so – He's, he's moving towards that type of lifestyle, uh, but he is still one of the guys, and he is still in his early 20s, uh, and, and he can relate to these guys who, you know, uh, uh, probably for the first time in their lives are, have all sorts of expendable income, and for the first times of their lives are being told, like, yeah, you got to stay inside all the time, and uh, and every time that you go out and try to meet girls or whatever you're doing, you're putting the entire team in jeopardy, and you're, you might be putting the season in jeopardy. And you're right when you say if it's Joe Flacco or Case Keenum or, heck, even Trevor Simeon, it doesn't hit the same than if Drew Locke, the new kid on the block, the, you know, the big man in town, is saying, hey, guys, look, I get it. I truly do. You know, I want to go out there and, and, uh, and strut our stuff too. But as a team, we have to be united in trying as, as hard as we possibly can to keep this virus from getting inside of our little bubble. Yeah. And as we're seeing with baseball, it, it, I truly think it will come down to the players depending on if there's a season or not, they're going to be the ones accountable for that because with baseball, the teams that are taking it seriously don't really have COVID impacting them. The ones that have broken the rules, maybe even if it's just one time, uh, well, they haven't played a game in an entire week. And so it really is on the players uh, to, to take that. And Drew is leading that charge. And something else he's leading, which I absolutely love, 
is no excuses. He doesn't want to hear any excuses, not only about that, but about uh, a new offense, being young on offense, not having the offseason to get together. When he was asked if, if Broncos are at a disadvantage compared to a team like the Chiefs, who have the same offense coming back, same staff, a lot of the same players, he said, pretty much, I don't want to hear any excuses. He said, we all have 24 hours in a day. We're young, but we're hungry. We're young and hungry. And that is what I absolutely love because Drew's going to be the guy looked at what he's doing off the field. He's going to be looked at what he's doing on the field. And everyone's going to look at him and say, well, shoot, Drew's not letting any excuses happen. If Drew were to say, yeah, we, we are at a disadvantage and, and that's a bummer um, and left it at that, then that may allow some other players to say, I don't need to put that extra hour in because you're right, we're at, we're at a disadvantage. Drew said we're just going to have to straight up work harder than those other groups or other teams. And you know, one, th- yeah, one thing that could make them work harder is if they go if, – is if teams understand that maybe, okay, this bubble might not work and they might try what the Saints are doing. I, I don't know if you guys read it this morning, but uh, according to Peter King, the Saints are going to uh, go into a hotel and sequester themselves. Hotel – facility and back in new orleans and uh if the broncos decide something like that just to kind of keep things on point here at least through training camp there really would be no excuse not to not to work you wouldn't be going home you wouldn't be uh, having a lot of extra demands on your time you'd just be focused on football something like that might be the best thing to sort of underscore that message of uh, making the most of those 24 hours like drew suggested it's true and, and you know it it would have been easy for drew to follow John Elway's lead. Look, John Elway said, lower the expectations, temper your thoughts on Drew Locke. And Drew's obviously not going to say, yes, you should temper your expectations <laughs> for me. But he could have leaned into that a little bit and said, yeah, you know, it's going to be really tough for us to get ready in this short period of time because we do have a lot of young guys and, and we have a new offensive system. And, you know, I've never learned an offensive system in this short of time. He, he could have leaned into it. But I think I bet no person was smiling more than when they heard Drew Locke's quotes than John Elway himself, because John can say that. But do you think John Elway, when he was a player, would have ever stood for tempered expectations or, you know, slow your roll on us a little bit? I, I don't think Absolutely so. I think not. <laughs> John Elway, every time he, you know, from his rookie season to the year he retired, expected to, just like Pat Bowen, to go undefeated every season uh, and win the Super Bowl. And I Unless think that- he didn't believe in Dan Reeves' offense. Yeah, well, different story, but you're right. Um, I think John Elway is probably hyped that Drew Locke said, basically, F that. Uh, we're going to figure this out. I don't care how much time we have. I don't care how young we are. Um, we, like, we got 24 hours in the day. We got plenty of time before the first game of the season. We'll get it figured out. Yep, you're, you're exactly right. And something that's going to help that, is a dominant defense. As we know from John Elway, he said we're going to have to lean on that defense when the offense gets up to speed. And the Broncos are back, and Bradley Chubb is back. And that is huge, huge, huge for this defense because it's not crazy to say that he could be the MVP of this defense this year and the next five years. He expects to be 100% full go come week one, which is – just six weeks away. He used the pandemic. He kind of mentioned that as well, that he was one of the few players, of course, who was still at the facility over the last few months, 
because the only guys allowed were guys on injury rehab. And one of the things that he mentioned was that because of everything going on, everything shutting down, not being a lot of guys at the facility, he was able to focus on his rehab more than he would have in a normal circumstance. And so he kind of, even though obviously what's going on in the world is unfortunate, he turned it into a positive to make it to, to allow himself to kind of work a little bit harder because, hey, what else was there to do? And that was a, that was a good sign. I think I like seeing guys that try to lemonade, make, a, make lemonade without lemons, as it were make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what he did. He, he did well at that. And the other thing, of course, in his favor is that the Broncos easing into training camp by necessity means that uh, this, this time right now, he probably wouldn't be practicing anyway, but uh, it doesn't matter. There's a good chance that Bradley Chubb gets almost as many practice reps as he would in a normal circumstance because they're not going to be putting on the pads until, until, until mid-August. So he looks like he's, he's good to go. I'd expect him to be – playing at least 70% of the snaps by week one. Yeah, real quick, Mace. A lot of talk about mid-August and this. Do we actually have a date? Do we know what the plan is for starting training camp? August 17th is the day that you can put pads on. Okay. It's, it, it's the week to 10 days before that you can actually start having practices with helmets on, with helmets on but uh, in just shorts and T-shirts or shorts and shells. Pad, the, but pads, which would be basically, what, three or four days in a training camp in a normal year, that's what doesn't begin to, until August 17th. So really you're probably looking at around August 9th, August 8th, August 10th, somewhere around there for camp as we know it beginning. Yeah. How weird is this, though? The Broncos are on the field. We're in August. It's not training camp. We also don't have an official date for the start of training camp yet. Like, I know this year is weird in many ways, but like, it just seems odd. Like I, I just have a feeling we're going to get an email on August 8th that says like, oh yeah, training camp starts tomorrow. <laughs> I, I think we will. It's, it's so bizarre seeing the guys out on the field and not seeing them in person right now. And of course they're doing their strength and conditioning work right now with some walkthroughs where we're seeing some pictures of Drew throwing to Jerry Judy and those guys starting to, to form a relationship. And what's interesting about that is one thing Drew said on Friday was the way that he's going to build a relationship with all these new guys is it's going to start on the field first, and then they're going to get the off-field relationship going just because there's, there's no time. They can't go to restaurants right now to get to know each other. Drew can't even sit at, at the same table as some of those guys just because you're only allowed to, you know, have two guys or however many at a certain table. So it's very fascinating building a relationship with someone on the field before anything off the field, really. It's really weird. It's, it's like a video game almost. Like the relationship is literally just throwing to that play, you know, like yeah. it's so impersonal that it might as well be a video game. <laughs> and at least Drew's got weapons to throw to. That, that makes the video game a lot more fun. So when you guys talked to Bradley Chubb, did you get the – when he says he's definitely going to be ready for week one, like were you confident in his demeanor that, he, that that was for real, that he really is feeling healthy? Or were you a little bit left want, uh, concerned about that knee? Uh, no concern. 
concerns, honestly. I, he, he was resolute like he usually is. And the other thing also with Bradley Chubb, this is where having the injury early in the season can help him because instead of having it, say, in week 14 and effectively only having about nine months of rehab, he's sitting here, and by the time he starts practice, it'll be close to 11 months from when he suffered the injury. So that factors in, into it as well. But from him, I saw no doubt that he'd be ready to go for week one, no doubt at all. Yeah, I I totally agree with you, Mace. But there there is a little but in there because Bradley Chubb threw it in there. He said, we're going to take it slow, getting me back on the field. It's going to be a process. And that's only smart to do. There's no reason to rush Bradley Chubb and have him be 100% go uh, on the first day of padded practice in two weeks from now. There's no reason for that. But let's just say taking it slow, they want to take it extra slow. And that means that come week one, Chubb's playing. It's, it not, he's, when he plays, he's playing at 100%. But instead of playing 90% or 80% of the plays, he's playing 60 or 70. And then by week four, he is playing the 80 to 90%. I wouldn't be shocked to see that. And, of course, you don't want that. You want Bradley Chubb there. But if that's the safe and smart thing to do, I'm okay with that. So I have no concerns that he's going to be 100% when he plays come week one. But I wouldn't be shocked to see that process uh, not just be slow throughout training camp, but be slow through the start of the season. I think you start that by just limiting his reps, and it's something that uh, I would even say with uh, Von Miller. Now, Von Miller looks to be 100% in shape, but if Von Miller has any recurring issues uh, from having COVID back in the springtime, then you, you ease him back as well. And maybe both of these guys are playing anywhere from 60 to 70% of the snaps and uh, not any more than that in week one and you're rotating in Jerry Itachu and Malik Reed and Derek Tuska, if he explodes or Justin Hollins and others, you know, just, there's no reason to be anything but cautious in, in easing guys back in if they're not a hundred percent ready. And really, I think that actually goes for the entire roster having lacked for off season work. Some of the, you know, some of the guys may not be in the usual shape. They may be susceptible to some, some soft tissue stuff. So you know what? Just slow the roll on everybody. Just be cautious because of all that you've lost, not being able to monitor them physically on a day-to-day basis to this point. Yeah. On the other side of that, though, the Broncos can't afford to have another slow start. Uh, You know, last year their ship was sunk before it even left the dock. And you just – while I think you're on the right track there, Mace, I don't want to see them be conservative heading into the into the season because in the end they got to win football games and they got to stack wins as fast as they can and if you're thinking along lines oh it's a marathon not a sprint well sometimes uh you're you're too far behind the people who took off at, at like it was a sprint at the beginning especially when you got a team like the Kansas City Chiefs in your division now obviously I I don't think we're saying expectations are the Broncos win this division um but we, I think all think the Chiefs are probably going to get off to a fine start. So, yeah, you can't start 0-4. And you also, you can't start where Bradley Chubb has one sack in the first four games. So you, you got to make sure that if, if he is playing 60% or 70% of the plays that he would have otherwise played, that he is 100% for those plays. Because not only was it a bad start for the team, obviously, last year, but the pass rush, 
was non-existent for the first four weeks pretty much and so were the turnovers I mean it was historically bad starts but you've got an entire league of people who are having to kind of ease back in because you haven't had this offseason work so going beyond just Chubb and Miller talking about everybody else the entire league is facing the same challenges right now so it might be everybody slowing their slowing their role in terms of in terms of what they're doing physically maybe that first week you're rotating more guys in just to make sure everybody's up to speed maybe but that might be something you're doing with every with with every part of the roster it's something that mo- that a lot of teams might be doing right out of the blocks so just because you're doing that I don't think that means you reduce the expectations I don't think that means you have you reduce the urgency to do in week one Actually, to be honest with you, if guys are still kind of working their way up and they're not in the same football shape in week one that they ordinarily would be, I think it actually would behoove you to make sure that you kind of spread things out, balance, you know, balance the reps. Maybe, maybe you even had receivers rotating in liberally, more liberal rotation of defensive linemen, defensive backs, whatever. Keep everybody fresh. Maybe that would actually give you an advantage over the teams that were trying to say, okay, we're going to force these guys to be 100% ready in week one maybe the, the better play is trusting the depth on your roster. Has it hit you guys yet that they're, that the Broncos are supposed to play five weeks from today? It's wild. It, it's wild in the no preseason. I mean, that first snap is going to be something else. But, like, I can't even comprehend that in just about a month, a month and three days, there's supposed to be an NFL game. Like, I don't – it doesn't feel like the summer has begun to me and we're almost to fall. Uh, it's just it's I was thinking the weirdest that this feeling. Morning. It feels like June right now. You know, it, yes. fe- it feels like the offseason. It doesn't feel like the, all the Broncos are in the building today. It does for OTAs. <laughs> all right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think this year has been so screwed up. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like June. It doesn't feel like August. It just feels like some, some kind of unique entity and we're sitting here talking about the season being in five weeks we've seen everything change so fast in this environment that five in five weeks everything could look completely different than it does right now so it's to it's weird because as I've, i'm viewing it it looks so far away because the general like, let's just say how things look five weeks ago and in tr- especially kind of in regards to the pandemic, we were talking. In regards to sports, we were talking about you know teams, leagues getting in the bubble, but we didn't know how Major League Baseball was going to work at that point. And now we're sitting here, Major League Baseball trying to do what the NFL has done, and there's there's chaos. There's outbreak on a co- outbreaks on a couple of teams, canceled games left and right. They're trying to figure things out. I mean. Who know if if baseball continues to have the problems? Who knows if it looks if uh, the, the outlook for the NFL looks the same way trying to pull this off? So, you know, I, I I haven't had that moment where I've said, "Wow, it feels like June," or "Wow, wow, we're five weeks to the season." Just because I feel like we're going week to week and day to day, and I think, frankly, the fact that we haven't gotten at least to the media the date of when things are going to be open to to view the first official full day, day of full pads, et cetera. We know when you can start that on the 17th, but we don't have the official day on when the Broncos will start. I think all that is because they're going day to day and week to week at most too. Yeah. 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 And, and one guy, I can't believe we didn't leave the lead the show off with this. The huge news, of course, one person that will not be there for the Broncos come week one, Jeff Hireman. Mm. The Broncos <laughs> have moved on. 
from the star of tight end from the Ohio State. It turns out he was the lower man on the depth <laughs> chart. The lowest man, maybe. Yeah. yeah, but it was high in the amount of cap space you created, $3.875 million. I mean, that's, that's, that's why once the Broncos signed Nick Vanette, Jeff Hireman was an endangered species. Now, the thing that I thought, I figured you could get something back in a trade for him. So I thought it was interesting they pulled the trigger now. I mean, look at the Patriots, for example. I mean, the Patriots' yeah. tight end room is – is, is, is emptying out. Even Matt Lacoste has opted out of the season. I think the only, the, the only regret I have for the Broncos is that they could not pull off some kind of trade for even a sixth or seventh rounder to get to some value for Jeff Hireman, but he wasn't making this team. He didn't, he didn't have a place on, on the roster. And the reps that would have been given to him – were reps that you'd be taking away from a Jake Butt or an Austin Fort or a Troy Fumagalli, all three young guys that you're still trying to find out a little more about on the back end of the depth chart, let alone that you, you wouldn't want him taking reps away from Albert Okwebunam, Nick Vanette, and Noah Pham. So, yeah, what's crazy time. is, you know, you mentioned three guys there, Jake Butt, Troy Fumagalli, Austin Fort, all guys who, you know, Broncos fans know those guys' names. They're probably not going to be on the team. Uh, you know, it's going to take... Not on the 53. Right, right. It's I expect take... one or two to be on the practice squad, though. Yeah, it's, it's going to take a serious performance in training camp for any of those guys to even have a chance at making the team because those are tight ends five, six, and seven right now because you didn't even mention Andrew Beck's name yet. <laughs> it's It's absolutely crazy, and this was absolutely the right move to do it now. There was no reason to hang on to Jeff Hireman because... You have other names that you're definitely going to cut. And, Ryan, one of those names you mentioned, Jake Butt. He's, he's going to find another way to stay in the Broncos organization for another year. I mean, isn't, isn't he a guy that you, you stash on the practice squad for another year? Yeah, absolutely. They, ob they love him. And I think that's the thing. If they, if they didn't love him, he wouldn't be on the team right now. But consider how patient they've been with him through multiple recurrences of knee problems over the years. When they believe in you, they'll find a way to keep you around no matter what. Jake Butt kind of reminds me of when Nate Jackson was a Bronco. And Mike Shanahan really believed in Nate Jackson. She had him, cha had him change positions at one point. Nate had some, had some injuries, was banged up at times, stuck with him. The big thing for Nate Jackson was that uh, he had the Bill Walsh seal of, of approval, and if you had the Bill Walsh seal of approval, you were, going to, you were going to keep getting shots. But those two guys show that if a team believes in you, you will get chance after chance. And the Broncos obviously still believe in Jake, but and if he's healthy, they, I think they find a way to sneak him on the roster somehow some way, even though you do have that quality of receiving skill set in Alberto and Noah Fant, just because you can't have too many guys who are mismatches. And if Jake Butt is healthy, he's a matchup problem. Yeah, Jake Butt also falls in line with one of my uh, philosophies in life, which is uh, don't be a dick and you'll, you'll go a lot further than you think just on that premise alone. Like, <laughs> like he's, he's he might be the dude. nicest guy on the team. Yeah, he really, like, might, he really might be that guy. 
if people like being around you, you'll end up places. That's just the way it works. Uh, so that's a, that's one to keep in mind because I think Jake Butt is embodying that. People like him. Everyone likes him. So why would they want to get rid of him if they have opportunities to keep him? And especially over the past few years, he didn't let the, that tight end room take him down. Now, not this, this is pre-Noah Fant, but man, there are some characters in that tight end room and not necessarily the nicest. <laughs> yes, that's true as well. All right. Uh, it's great to have all three of us back, and that gives us a great opportunity to jump into the DraftKings pick of the week. Mace's favorite segment, he said he, every week, he says, I cannot wait for the DraftKings pick of the week. I'm going to make everyone rich. Uh, and so we, we just, you know, the, we just tee him up and get out of the way as, as he gives out perfect pick after perfect pick. <laughs> and Mace, Put that's pressure what, that's on what me here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I've gotten the last two right. Uh-oh. Why? Because I have been going with the over on Atlanta Braves strikeouts against an opposing picture. And tonight they're facing the Metropolitans, the New York Mets, and they're facing Jacob deGrom once again. And get this, guys. Jacob deGrom averages 11.94 strikeouts per nine innings against the Braves in nine starts going back to the 2018 season. So let's assume, okay, Jacob deGrom pitches seven innings, all right? He averages 9.28 strikeouts per seven innings. He opened the season with eight strikeouts of the Braves in six innings back on opening day when the Mets beat the Braves 1-0. And so sitting there with an over-under of 7.5, I've got to go against my team again, take the over on Jacob deGrom strikeouts wow. tonight. They moved it up one, right? It was 6.5 that first time. Right. And uh, by the way, his strikeouts in the last nine games over the last three seasons against the Braves are 9, 10, 13, and 8. So he's hit the over in eight of those nine games dating back to the Unreal. start of the 2018 Unreal. season. All right. How about that? I love it. Wow, that's a money pick right there, Mace. All right, I oh, am, boy, I might have to stick with this if this keep if this keeps working. I mean, you alluded to this before the pod, RK. You, you told me I got to ride it until 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 it breaks. Shit, Dance so. with the ones that brought you. That's what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm gonna look at this Rockies Giants game tonight, and the uh the people over at DraftKings Sportsbook have been setting ridiculously high overs. Uh, for these Rockies games since they got back to Coors Field. And the truth is, the over hit in two of the three Padres games this weekend. And so the, the people at DraftKings went ahead and they set the line even higher. And I understand why they're doing that, because there's a lot of runs being scored at Coors Field. The Rockies' offense is starting to click. But one thing that I think should be noted in these overs is that one of them happened because Wade Davis blew a save late in the inning. Uh, the Rockies were up 5-4 on Friday night. If Wade Davis gets the final out of the inning, it's an easy under. Well, he gives up a home run. It ends up going over. Um, then Saturday, easy under uh, for the Rockies and, and the Padres. And then Sunday, even with the Rockies' offensive outburst, it was looking like it was going to be another under until the, Bronc- or until the Rockies brought in some relief pitcher that no one's ever heard of. And he gave up a bunch of runs, and then that ended up going over. 
the lesson for me here is that these the two overs that hit in those course field games were kind of fluky. And so they're setting this one tonight between the Rockies and Giants at 13 runs. For me, that's, that's going to go under. Uh, they, Johnny Cueto's on the mound for the Giants, and he is a obviously a very good starting pitcher. The Rockies have Chichi Gonzalez going, uh, and so that, that it gives you less confidence. But he was 4-1 in September last year, so – uh, just one of the one of those ones that I think 13 runs is a bit too high for this one. Yeah, that that's a crazy number just compared with the rest of the league, Ryan. It absolutely is bonkers. And I'm gonna stick with that game, Ryan. And I gotta give you the credit for this one. I'm gonna jump on it. Rockies over under or the the, the Rockies Giants game over under half a run in the first inning. The under is plus 180, and this is a big bet for me because this is the first bet that I'm doing that's not a futures bet. I'm taking the under, taking that juice. Uh, you, you, got, you got a good pitcher going for the Giants, and I think it's a slow start. I think there's five strikeouts in the first inning, no runs, and you win plus 180 by taking the under on half a run scored in the first inning. That's all you need, a, a nice little start from those two uh, starters, and, and you got yourself a nice 180 payout. Well, boys, I would say it's time to get into the questions from the listeners here. Uh, quickly, I want to give a shout-out to Breckenridge Brewery, but we have some uh, breaking news coming down the wire that we'll get to in a second. Breckenridge Brewery, the best beers, and when you hear what, uh, what we're about to tell you on the other side of this, I'm sure you've already heard it by the time you heard this podcast. You probably need a beer. So uh, head down to the DNVR bar. We've got eight different Breckenridge brews on tap there. Or, or head down to your local liquor store and get yourself a 12-pack of Breck brews. And after you hear this news, you're definitely want going to want <laughs> to manscape yourself just to, just to move on, fresh start. And, guys, no one is better than manscaped.com. And there, there's no product better out there. I don't care what type of razor we're talking about. Than the lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof. It has an LED light. You can shave in the shower. You can shave in a dark shower. You can shave in the dark woods because it has a 90-minute battery life. It's going to last you forever. And also, Manscaped just also released a Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect addition to the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. So make sure to check out Manscaped. They have so much stuff. Of course, the Crop Preserver, the Crop Reviver, the Perfect Package, literally anything you want, they've got it there. So check them out and use the code DNVR20 at manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping. The DNVR20 gets you 20% off your entire purchase with free shipping. So make sure to check out Manscaped. Magical code DNVR20. Okay, well, breaking news just coming in from Mike Kliss. Broncos starting right tackle Jawan James has opted out of the 2020 season. That is about the least person they could afford for that to happen. Wait, wait, wait. 2020 is an even year, right, guys? Yeah. Yes, it is. I maybe, thought, maybe I thought that's when Jawan... <laughs> I thought Juwan James played all e the games in even years. Maybe it's just even numbered years in it, or maybe it's just even numbered years in his uh, in his career because or odd number because last year was 
year six for him, right? So maybe yep. it's odd numbered years in terms of his experience because he'll skip this year and 2021 will be his seventh season. And in one, three and five, that's when he played. So. Oh guys. <laughs> if you're going, if you're going by his experience, yes, but not, not by the calendar. This, this is huge. And uh, let me just start here. His contract basically goes on pause. So the 2020 terms will exist in 2021. This means Jawan James is going to be on the team in 2021 because the terms of his contract for this year, they couldn't have cut him. They would have actually, uh, they, they would have actually put themselves $19 million in the hole uh, in terms of dead money, and they would have added $3 million or $6 million to their cap to cut him right now. And so based on the way they're going with these contracts, not like baseball, but the way the NFL is doing, those terms go 2021. So yeah. Juwan James will be on this team next year, guys. Yeah, this is uh, – if you probably – I mean, you made a list of the worst people to opt out, not just because of their importance to the team, but the fact that now the, the Broncos are stuck with that contract even longer, this is, uh, this is close to a worst-case scenario. Oh, my uh, And goodness. to make it worse – to make it worse, you know, we talked about all these options for the Broncos to bring in and add a tackle. We were talking about left tackle. You know, Kelvin Beecham is off the market. Jason Peters is off the market. There's not really need the Broncos to turn except to Elijah Wilkinson. No, no, Calvin Ryan, he's your left tackle. Elijah Wilkinson's no. competing for left tackle, and he's hurt, so he's and not he, even playing right yeah. now. <laughs> He's on the pup. He had off-season surgery. It's it's indefinite. This is okay, man. I mean, do you want you want to try Jake Rogers over there? You want to maybe Guys, you try I Calvin mean, Anderson at right tackle. <laughs> in in terms of position, um, and and of course putting quarterback to the side. In terms of position, this is probably the one where if we went through and said, what position do you least want to opt out? Probably would have been this one. For, for the Denver Broncos. Now, of course, Von Miller, it doesn't mean Juwan James is the second best player on the team, but um, this is probably it because what's the answer? I don't know. It, it, crickets, uh, there, crickets. There is no answer. There's no answer. Uh, trade? It may, trade for now, someone? Now you really may have to trade, and it, a big trade too. Yeah, I mean, I would be in favor of, you know, uh, I don't know, trying to make a big splash for, a, you know, a big, big name player. But you might end up just having to trade for someone's backup tackle just to have something respectable on that side of the line. This is bad. Uh, and now, over the course of two seasons of his four-year, $51 million contract, Juwan James will have played 63 snaps. Are you kidding me? Almost. I mean, it's this is bad. Uh, obviously, you know, we have to say this. You got to respect Juwan James' decision. Uh, it, all these decisions do not come lightly for these players. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on them internally to not let their teammates down, but there's also, you know, the pressure to make the right decision for them and, the, and their family. So um, you have to respect his decision. Um, you have to take his decision the same way you would anyone else's, regardless of how things went last year. 
But man, from from a football standpoint, this is rough. Super, super rough. You're you're left with no names uh, on the list of potential right tackles. And Elijah Wilkinson, who was a terrible right tackle last year. Right. Yep. And and that's just the the disrespectful truth right there, Ryan. Um, and boy, <laughs> to to bring this first segment full circle. I guess this is the start of the second segment. But to bring this pod full circle. We were just talking about how we can't believe how the season is just a month away. Well, now John Owen, Vic Fangio, and Mike Munchak are saying, oh, my God, I can't believe the season is a month away. And Juwan James just opted out. How do we feel that? Uh, Mike Munchak, can you play? <laughs> Player coach? <laughs> oh. I take Listen to this, guys. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Juwan James tweeted this out, and this is – what I think I've, I'm actually not surprised that he's making the decision because he, he tweeted this on the 19th of July. Have a newborn at home and no safety protocols are in place. We all have families we care about and need these safety questions answered. Hashtag we want to play. Seeing that, can't be surprised that Juwan James makes this decision today because a lot, a lot of the guys that have opted out are players that do have they have newborns at home. What did the Broncos – what caused the Broncos' right tackle curse? Because this is unbelievable. This is legitimately unbelievable as you backtrack here. You lose Juwan James for 2020. 2019, Juwan James plays 63 snaps. The year before that, you had uh, Jared Valdir. Is that what it was at right tackle? Yeah, that, he, he was making beer. That was probably the best – thing you've had in a while because the year before that you had your right tackle proposing during a game uh the year before <laughs> that you had donald stevenson he was garbage the year before that you had uh, what was that um michael schofield or who was playing right tackle before donald stevenson you had Michael Schofield out there for a good chunk of that year. Remember, Schofield was at right tackle. Oh, Alan am- Barber was in the mix yeah, at one yeah. point. Yeah, but yeah, Sco- <laughs> Alan Barber was twenty was in the mix in the in the Menelik Watson year. Schofield was was in in twenty fifteen. You remember when he had to go against Khalil Mack, and in the parlance of the diner manager on Seinfeld, Mack made Schofield his own personal hand puppet for that dreadful afternoon in December of 2015. And you guys remember back in 2014 when the Broncos had to move, had, had to move Lou Vasquez out to tackle. Yep. He was an all-pro guard the year before, but uh, they, they went through – oh, my gosh, the name escapes me. Who, star, who was the starter in 2014 to open the season at right tackle for the Broncos? 2014. 14. Oh my God! I, I can't believe I'm I'm forgetting this guy. Well, actually, it just probably shows how forgettable the guy is um, that I can't remember him <laughs> off the top of my head. All right, hang on. Roster 2014. Okay, oh, let's see here. Paul Cornick. That's right. Paul Cornick. Remember him? Yep. I don't. Obviously. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And then, and then the year before, actually, the last time you had stability at that tackle position, Big O Orlando Franklin was your right tackle in 2013 and 2012, 
and 2011, but remember, then they, they said, okay, let's kick Orlando Franklin inside. Maybe that's what started this, guys. Not being able to leave well enough alone with Big O, who was a perfectly fine, solid right tackle, and deciding, hey, we got to kick him inside in 2014. That's the original sin of this whole thing, moving Orlando Franklin inside, because that's when the, the position turned from something stable into a revolving door. The curse of Big O. How, wow. how old is uh, Ryan Clady? Uh, Clady is probably, um, he's 34, 35 years old now. Why call are you saying call, call him? him. Up? Uh, offer him the contract that you offered him when he was uh. still playing. Bring him back. I mean, anything like all we can do right now is laugh about this because it, it, this is so dire. I, anything is on the table. They're going to have to get really creative. There's no way they can say their options at right tackle during training camp are Elijah Wilkinson, who's on the pup. And Calvin Anderson or Jake Rod, like that's it's unacceptable. You have to do something. They have to do something. Do Do you think it's fair to say that Garrett Bowles has won the left tackle competition? <laughs> yeah, it was over before it started. I mean, it was there was never a real competition anyway. That was just to appease the fans. But uh, I, I I mean, Garrett Bowles looks like a stalwart right now compared to whatever you have. On, there's just a big hole over there. There's nothing there. Wow. It, it, Ryan, like you said, it, it's hard to – obviously, I, I'm not going to get upset at Juwan James himself and his decision to opt out because um, I, I do respect those players' decisions who do that. But it's, it's hard to even get mad about the circumstances because of just you, – you almost can't write this. You, this you know, if you were to have a Hollywood movie on the Broncos' right tackle position – it'd be hard to write the script like this. And I know that's probably a very enticing movie for the entire world to see, but man, now it seems like it may be enticing. It's called wrong tackle. <laughs> exactly. Oh, gentlemen, this is, uh, wow. this is rough. This is, uh, this is bad, bad news for the Broncos. Now I will say this. It's important to keep in mind that Drew Locke was able to win a football game with a bunch of people no one's ever heard of on the offensive line at one point of uh, Jake Rogers and Patrick Morris and uh, others that I hey, can't Jake Rod That's Jake Rogers who got a game ball. Don't Austin Schlotman. Uh, <laughs> but let's also note this. What was the best half of football that Jake, that uh, Drew Locke played? Yep. Behind John James. Uh-huh. And it's, it, it was, it was interesting to watch that. I've, we've all gone back and rewatched that ha that half that game. A, it's a fun watch, but B, I've I when I I saw on Jawan James from the first half of that game, he, he's terrific. I mean, yeah, he's got, he's grappling with the knee issues, but you can see the talent. You can see why the Broncos brought him in. You can see how stable that side of the line is when he's on the field. It's it's not that he it's it's not that he isn't good enough. It's that he hasn't been healthy and. Hopefully he's he's back next year. He by the way he did put out a statement on Twitter, um, just now, and he talked about his newborn son, which he mentioned when he tweeted about this issue in July. He also said that he had a family member hospitalized with COVID nineteen. 
He, he writes, quote, we can't live in fear or just confine ourselves just to our homes, but we all have to make the right conscious choices and navigate through day-to-day -day life to protect our neighbors. To my teammates I reached out to before making this decision, I appreciate your input and acknowledgement that the man comes first before the football player, unquote. And he says more in that note, but uh, very heartfelt message from Shawan James here. Yeah, yeah. and uh, man... Like you said, the, his contract is now put on hold, so he's going to be back in 2021. And gosh, it's, I mean, that, that's going to be tough for him with all the fan pushback and maybe some players are, are, are going to have some feelings as well. But in the first two years of signing, 63 snaps played. That's, that's tough. That is tough at, at one of the positions that this was supposed to be the signing that turned it all around at right tackle. This was it, $51 million was going to fix it and, and clearly not for the first two years of that contract at least. Okay guys, before we end this, this conversation, we have, to, we have to come up with some sort of solution. I mean, we, have, I got, we gotta throw out some idea. So I went and looked at uh, who are the best available free agents right now. This was updated uh, July 29th. So I think this probably still stands. I'm looking at available offense tackles. Mace, maybe you know who this guy is. Uh, Damar Dotson, 34-year-old, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Yep, that's right. And he's somebody that, uh, I mean. <laughs> that's not a good start. Well, no, it's, 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 it's just where he is right now. What, is, what does he have left? I mean, he has. Uh, he he was he at one time was really solid at right tackle, and the thing is that Demar Dotson he just kept he did he did enough to keep the job for most of those years, and he played eleven seasons for the Bucks. And think about that: how many guys that don't get to a Pro Bowl play eleven years? So the guy the guy has staying power. He's solid. The the thing that first of all about Demar Dotson, if you see him, the guy he's six foot nine. He, hmm. he, he's, he's got good length, not, not quite as quick off the snap as he was, but he's reasonably durable. He's only missed a couple of games the last two years. Honestly, right now, because he's been a right tackle, he's my first choice. I'd try to get him on a, a one-year, $4 million deal. Uh, so compared to Juwan James' 63 snaps last year, DeMar Dotson played 1,035 snaps. Yeah. Um, pretty he good. had a 71.0 overall grade on PFF. That sounds pretty nice to me. I'll take uh, that all day. Uh, and then there's one other name here that I will throw out uh, that I think people that watch football probably know is Cordy Glenn. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, he is available right now. He played at the Bengals last year. He had a 67 PFF grade. Uh, a little bit younger. He's 30 years old. Let me just tell you this. Both of these guys sound like massive, massive upgrades to what the Broncos have right now. They should have them both in for a workout as we speak. The thing with Cordy Glenn, though, is that he's been on the left tackle. So he'd be asking him to shift over. DeMar Dotson, his career's at right tackle. I think there's, there are fewer question marks in terms of asking a guy to reverse everything and we're so late in the game, and you're going to have so few padded practices leading up to the season and not, have, and not have any preseason play at all that my gamble would be on the player 
who has proven he can play right tackle at a reasonable level and have staying power as a starter. So to me, if it's, if it's a choice of Dotson or Glenn, it's Dotson all day long. Yeah. I mean, sign me up, like sign me up right now for DeMar Dotson. Just bring him in, hand him a contract one year, $2 million, whatever it is. I don't care what it is. You just cleared $3 million of cap space for Jeff Ironman, bring someone in, take care of them, give them whatever they need. And let's, let's get back to work. Well, and didn't you just clear a bunch of cap space with uh, right. Juwan James opting out as well? Oh, so yeah. right. That, but you're that, gonna care- that, come, that you comes off the sp- books this year. Now, obviously, yes, it does go to next year, so you can roll some right. of that over. But it's, it's not like you need to cut someone in order to open up 2 to $4 million. These guys that are, that are available right now, they're not going to be $15 million guys. And look at this. You just cut Jeff Hireman. So if you can get DeMar Dotson for $4 million – that's that's effect. You're basically saying, okay, Jeff Hireman is paying for this guy because you you don't want us to spend that that Juwan James money if you don't have to because, like you said, Zach, you can carry it over. And in a year where the cap could be as low as 175 million dollars, you're going to want to carry over as much as you can. So I, I think maybe may guys, maybe the impetus behind cutting Jeff Hireman, as it turned out, was the indication that, all right, we're going to have to replace Jawan James. We know he might be backing out. And the cost of a replacement tackle, probably going to be somewhere in the 3 to $5 million range. That's roughly Jeff Hireman's contract. There you go. That's where it's coming from. Uh, yeah, I mean, he should be signed by the time we finish this podcast. Uh, but he we should. do eventually, eventually have to finish this podcast. So let's jump in. To the questions from the listeners, I'm sure tomorrow we'll have plenty of more uh, tackle talk. Uh, but this first one comes in from Mark IT Snatch. He said, uh, hey, guys, what's in a name? As we know, some cities have themes along their sports teams. Pittsburgh's teams all share the same colors. Colorado's teams are all related to things around the state. Seattle's teams are all varying shades of blue and green and carry an oceanic theme. Washington has a capital city theme, though it remains to be seen if Dan Snyder will play along. Houston had a theme, but the Texans ruined it. I think you meant Texas. Or no, did Houston have a theme? Anyway. They had the Rockets oh, and the, the Astros. Rockets and the Astros, okay. But, but the Oilers didn't fit in with that back yeah. in the day. But, could... uh, but Yeah, but that being said, the Oilers were endemic to old Houston. The Astros and Rockets are endemic to modern Houston with the Johnson Space Center. I never put that together. Re- if you could rename the Tex, if you could rename the Texans to tie them into the space theme with the Astros and Rockets, what would you go with? Apollos, which was used for an AAF team in Orlando, Orlando being not too far from Cape Canaveral, so the same kind of, the same kind of concept. And Apollos, I believe, was one of the finalists for the team that became the Houston Texans. I actually, I didn't like the Texans because. I'm like, why would you? I mean, that's like the the Tampa Floridians and the Denver Coloradans. It's like, what's yeah, the deal it's a here? Pretty, pretty stupid. Name. I'm going with the Houston problems. <laughs> wow. Houston problems. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. But the thing says- is, yeah, yeah. Space names are cool though. That's you can have so much fun with them, and and certainly like the the Astros, they have a mascot named Orbit, who's basically an alien, and uh, the Rockets have come up with all kinds of stuff over over the years. Anything involving the space program to me is is just inherently cool as a sport team name. All right, uh, 
He says, I bring up Houston because we're hitting the AFC South and they're on the dock. The history's a bit thin, and Zach will probably say the Christmas Tebow comeback, but that was the best game for Denver. What about Mace's Bucks? What's the best game uh, against the Texans? I know everyone is waiting with bated breath to hear your answer. Oh, yeah. Well, this is the only game the Bucks won against the Texans. They beat them 16-3 back in 03, I believe even week 15, winding down what was probably the most disappointing season in Buck history, going 7-9 and nine after winning the Super Bowl. So for the Broncos, it's, that's, a good, that's, a good, that's a good question. I, I, I like what he said that Zach will probably say, but I've got to go with the game in 2013 when Peyton Manning set the single-season touchdown pass record. He accomplished it in week 16 against Houston. It's a lot of fun to see. That's my choice. I'm definitely going with the most obvious answer here. It's Drew Locke's first road start of his career in which he absolutely sliced and diced the Texans into oblivion. (laughs) Yeah, those are good ones. But anytime Tebow is in a game, you got to go with him. Ah! Real quick, guys. This was just brought up in the DNVR lounge as I'm watching it uh, just as we're talking here. Can Natani Muti be moved over to right tackle? Is that, a, is that, is that an option? Not year one. It's, 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 it's an option if you're in a pinch, but with well, Muti. They're in a pinch. Well, they are in a pinch, but, but here's the thing. Muti, because of his injury history, the one thing that I don't want to see, I don't want to see the Broncos jeopardize his potential long-term health just to try just for this season you do what you see in baseball quite often and sometimes in baseball when you know you've got a stud prospect coming up you say okay I've got to find a a left fielder second baseman first baseman for one year to be the bridge to that guy and Muti if he's healthy he's somebody that could be a 10-year starter and I don't want to jeopardize that the potential of him being a decade-long player for you just to get by this year. So, so swallow your pride, write the check, sign DeMar Dotson. It's not that hard. And I know we're probably – I mean, we'll, we'll definitely talk about this this week as well, but also some names being thrown around. Can, can Graham Glasgow play right tackle? What about uh, 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 Dalton Reisner? Do you put him at left and move Garrett Bowles to right? There's going to be a lot of people throwing out some panic moves, and that's why I call them panic moves. Is probably not the best thing to do. Just just sign the one-year veteran. Yeah, I'm it. I'm panicking. Uh, next one here is from Sean Kunani. Hey guys, this is Sean here. Been a subscriber for a few years, uh, but I think I've only commented once here on my previous name. I was supposed to come to Colorado in March. It would have been my first time back after spending six months basically just partying in, uh, in Boulder at CU in the summer of 2006. A time in my life I'll never forget and where I was introduced to the game of football in the Broncos. This time I was going to see a gig at Red Rocks, and it was right around the time the bar opened, so it was looking like great timing. But unfortunately, that trip had to be canceled. Hoping to make it back early next year when all this stuff has subsided. A game you rarely hear discussed and easily one of my all-time favorite Broncos moments was the 39-38 game against the Chargers in 08. Cutler to Royal for the TD and then coming back to the exact same play for the two-point conversion to win it. Shanahan's showing some serious cojones and Eddie's hands were so good for both plays. Man, makes me smile every time I think about it. I remember that one vividly. 
Yeah. Yeah, pretty awesome and so gutsy to do the exact same play again. But, hey, as we talked about with DK Pick of the Week, if it works, why would you not do it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> dance, dance with the ones that brought you. I remember it uh, especially vividly because I think I won my fantasy game by, like, one point that week. And so the, the Eddie Royal two-point conversion uh, <laughs> on top, I, I had Jay Cutler and Eddie Royal on my fantasy team, so – the touchdown and then the two-point conversion, doubling up points for both of them, uh, was huge for me. Man, what, Eddie not, Royal not remembered was... remembered as the Ed Hockley game? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. That's how I remember it. Man, Eddie Royal was so good at times and so much fun and just seemed like he was going to be the next best thing. Yep, he really did. Next Same one coming in Cutler. for – from Wait, we Brent. skipped we skipped Breck Drew, guys. Sorry about that. Oh, sorry, Breck Drew. And What's says, up, guys? Hope, hope y'all are good. I love the optimism about our offense, but I'm so excited about the defense this year. We may, we may be only one or so years away from having a whole new core. Harris is gone. Vaughn will be soon. Todd Davis's clock is ticking. Wolf is gone. Shelby ain't going to be back. Chubb and Simmons are obviously the star of the new generation, but do you think our next defense can be as memorable as the last? It's going to be up to John Elway. It certainly is going to be up to John Elway because you said that Justin Simmons is part of that group. He's part of that group for 2020. And I, after talking to John last week, I've lost a, a lot of confidence that he is, that Justin is for sure going to be on this team after 2021 or after 2020. It's very possible that he is, but I am not certain about it anymore, guys. And you're going to have to pay the offense a lot of money coming up where you've been paying the defense for uh, for many years now, that money's going to go to the offense now. So this team is going to be led by the offense. So I don't think the defense for, for years out is going to be as dominant. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I think if you're asking this defense going forward to be as memorable as the one that uh, the Broncos had through a good chunk of the 2010s, I think you're asking way too much of this. I mean, for example – to go in Broncos history. You had the Orange Crush peaking in the 70s. Now, as time went on, you had some good defenses in the 80s. You had some good players. You know, you had Randy Gratishar hung on through 83, but then you had like guys like Ruan Jones coming in, Dennis Smith came in, but not as memorable as the old vintage Orange Crush days. And I think that's what you're going to get into here. Could be a good defense. If you got Vic Fangio calling, uh, the, calling the plays, calling things over there, it won't be a bad defense. That's one thing that you know. But I don't think it's going to be anywhere on the order of what we saw in the mid-2010s. That's a tough act to follow. That, that's one that stands alongside the orange crush of the 70s, maybe even a little bit higher just because it was able to get to carry the team this Super Bowl win, whereas the orange crush fell short in Super Bowl twelve. Uh, also, a huge shout-out to Breck Drew, who got a DNVR tattoo this weekend. It looked <laughs> amazing. Uh, so, uh, great job. And uh, he's now uh, got a lifetime subscription on the house. Looks so freaking cool. And now he just gets to show off his, his bicep and his muscles all the time when he, when he shows it. Amen. Next one here is from DTL. Hey, all, hypothetical question. Say if Lindsay somehow still manages to get 1,000 yards rushing, do you think – that a first-round tender would even be enough to uh, keep him? I doubt it. I feel another team would take that at the end of the first, realizing what he did with Melvin on the team as well. Uh, don't know. Pop question. Let me know how y'all feel. No, 
no one's no one's really going to give up first round running back for a first round pick for a running back that is not projected to be elite i guess um thousand yard seasons are great philip Lindsay is amazing i think he's awesome i think he has a great chance to go for a thousand yards this year but in the end teams that draft running backs in the first round especially early in the first round uh or in the first half of the first round are drafting guys that they think are going to be you know uh hall of famers right now you saw was Clyde Edwards Hilaire the first running back taken this year? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that was thirty-two. That's a little bit different. They picked what they thought was a perfect scheme fit for their offense. Uh, and that we'll see how that ends up working out for them. But you're not going to see a team give up a first round pick for a running back with tread on the tires. Right. Yeah. The only the only run teams that can justify a first round pick for a running back are the ones that view him as a final piece. The only thing we're missing is this. We've got everything else. Kind of like Kansas City was, like the teams that are picking late in the first round. That's why, you know, as talented as Saquon Barkley is and as much as I love watching him play, Dave Gettleman, man, you can't, you can't do that with a number two overall pick in the NFL in this day and age. You just can't do that. Yeah. 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 Anyway. No, they uh, – Maybe the best case – I don't know about best case scenario for John Elway, but throw the second-round tender on him and see if you can get a second-round pick back, especially after signing Melvin. That may be something I wouldn't be shocked if John does. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what exactly happens there, but I, it, he, you won't lose him for a first-round tender even if you give him – and I, I don't think you'd lose him for a second-round tender either. Next one from Elroy Jetson. Hi, guys. Hadn't posted in a while, and I'm currently about a month behind on podcasts. Have to have shoulder surgery, but I'm good now and catching up. Just can't help but give Mace props, though, on his pronunciation of Louisville. As a, nati- as a native Louisville. to Louisville area, you sounded like a local. Hey, Zach, here's your guide to help out. Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> it looks weird, but it's the way we say it. That's all for now. Thanks for the entertainment. Larry, but then how is the one next to Boulder pronounced? Louisville, right? Yes. Why? Why do we have different pronunciations? That honestly, the pronunciation of the one in Boulder makes no sense to me. I'm sorry, local Colorado locals. I remember moving here and saying Louisville, and I'm like, no, and they're like, no, it's Louisville, and I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> it's literally spelled out. Ex- it sound. It's literally sounds exactly the way it's spelled. But here's the thing: like, if if you're what happened with Louisville is ba- in Kentucky is that eventually people kind of dropped the syllable. If you were pronounced like spelling it out and saying it properly, it would be Louisville or Louisville because you know it's it's after like King you know King Louis in France. Okay, it's not. Louis. It's not named after Louis. It's named after Louis. So Louis is an unnecessary It's an anglification of the pronunciation. I was there, with my own uh, with my own anglification there. <laughs> there are people who are named Louis who spell it L O U I S. But that, that, but that's their their name. If they're choosing to pronounce it that way, that's fine. But it's you know all the Louisvilles is, are named after King Louis. Who? How that's, do you know these aren't just named after Louis and Floorwax? 
<laughs> well, Lewis is a different spelling, L-E-W-I-S. Then we would know it Damn was it. Lewis. If it was Lewis, like Rick Lewis, yes, of course, it's Lewisville. <laughs> but if it's L-O-U-I-S, I mean, the name itself, it's, it's French. It's, it's Louis. So, but I'm, everything in Colorado has a, uh, for lack of a better term, bastardized pronunciation. Buena Vista <laughs> drives yeah. me insane. I'm La sorry. Hunter. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> yeah, we, we oh, do it anyway. Uh, any, a, anyway, but yeah. The, the, actually, I have to give credit to a Bronco Ring of Famer who, by watching him on television, showed us all how to pronounce it properly. The great Tom Jackson, product of the University of Louisville. And when he did highlights with Chris Berman, anytime there was a player from Louisville, uh, you know, Chris Berman, would, Chris Berman would say, Ernest Givens from Louisville! <laughs> yeah, I mean, heck, even Colorado should be pronounced Colorado, but we don't get anything right around here. So I, I wish it's Louisville. Did it. It's beautiful. <laughs> All right, next one's from Bronco Sooners, New York Rangers. My boys, happy Monday. I'm back in New Jersey visiting family and remembered Mace talking about Wawa on the podcast. I used to work there, and I second Mace's statement on how good it is. It was the first thing I got when I was back home, and their subs are some of the best. And everything is so convenient. Just had to show New Jersey some love. We get clowned all the time, but it's honestly quite a, quite a beautiful state with a lot of history. We take it for granted sometimes, but legitimate revolutionary war battles took place less than 20 minutes away. Just incredible. Anyway, sorry for the rant. My question today is this. If you had to choose three meals for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Assume you have to choose a breakfast plate, a lunch plate, and a dinner plate. I think I would go three eggs over medium, four strips of bacon, and two sausage links and a cup of fruit for breakfast. It's a heavy breakfast. A turkey club with avocado and melted pepper jack cheese and fries for lunch. That sounds nice. And an assorted sushi plate with two spicy tuna rolls on the side for dinner. Guys, what would you go with? Wow, that, that's a good one. Definitely a big yogurt parfait for breakfast with some granola, some fruit in there. Uh, lunch, I'm going, man, I got to have baked beans in this. Baked beans and coleslaw. Uh, and I guess you just round out the meal with some other barbecue, uh, and go barbecue for lunch and dinner, man, sushi's, sushi's a good one. Sushi's a good one. Um, but I'll go Italian. Give me a little, uh, a little side salad with some pasta and pizza. Wow. Okay. All I'm right. going for breakfast, peanut butter and jelly. For lunch, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm no, just pop, kidding. no pop tarts in there? No, no, no. Oh, boo. Um, okay, for breakfast, man, Zach, I kind of liked your idea there with the yogurt parfait. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of hits the spot. In, in the morning, I'm always craving something a little bit sweet uh, and. Uh, that that hits the spot there i can't say i eat that very often but it sounded really good when you said it so i'm gonna roll with it me too i don't eat it often either (laughs) (laughs) get some fruit you get some dairy you're hitting lots of major food groups there um for lunch i'm going along the lines of what uh broncos juniors new york rangers here said i'm going with like just a just a quality turkey sandwich like you know you can mix up with whatever you want there but I'm not, I don't want a um, melted cheese on there. I want the, the regular cheese, just a good old turkey sandwich, standard. But, you know, like I'm thinking of one from Jersey Mike's right now. It's great, good old. 
bowl turkey sandwich. And then for dinner, I'm also going along the lines here. I'm going sushi for dinner for sure. Uh, sushi. Yeah, my I, I, I think I echo you guys on sushi. For breakfast, I'm going with shrimp and grits. For lunch, I'm having a lobster roll. For dinner, I'm having sushi, and it's funny because one seafood of the things for all three meals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I love seafood, and that's you know one of the things that's hard about living in Colorado. The seafood is great. Say, let's be honest. Move. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but one of the things that was a finalist for me for breakfast was like was was the lox or smoked salmon on a bagel with cream cheese oh. and capers, but part of my sushi for dinner is going to be a smoked salmon hand roll. They have wonderful or just smoked salmon sushi. They over at sushi den, they have a wonderful smoked salmon sushi. That is one of my favorite items on any menu anywhere. Wow. Wow. I, my, uh, I might have to change my breakfast to a bagel with cream cheese and lox. That mm. that's my, that's one of my girlfriend's favorite things to eat. And it, it is good. But to me, smoked salmon tastes like bubble gum, and I just can't get over what that. What the hell? It, it's very, Whoa. very weird. So it tastes <laughs> like I'm eating this bubble gum on a bagel with cream cheese. You know what? If it's what if it's just regular flavor of bubble gum, I mean that no, sounds awesome to no, me. No, it love, doesn't. That sounds <laughs> I know. terrible. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> Dan uh, Burke says. Really, hang on, real quick. That, that's really weird. But I've I've been thinking about this lately. Like, Certain people's taste buds just like to me, cilantro tastes like soap. And oh, no, you have yep. that. And then also to me, scotch tastes like tires. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I can't do scotch. Well, yeah, I, I mean, we all have different things. I mean, if I have an IPA, it's like pouring fire down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> I can't that do it. That doesn't sound very appetizing. No, no. I mean, there was other beers. That's why I stick to the strawberry sky. So, mm-hmm. Ryan, do you like you can't like Chipotle then, right? Because their rice has cilantro in it. No, it's not. Uh, no, I obviously love Chipotle. Um, and cilantro in rice doesn't hit that way for me. It's something about like fresh cilantro being added to my food. Like if there's like an actual leaf of it, just like it hasn't been cooked in anything. It's not like. It's just, I don't know what it is. I, I wish I wasn't that way, but uh, yeah, it, like a leaf of cilantro literally just tastes like wow. eating soap. Wow, that is unfortunate. This Dan is one Burks. of the most fascinating things I've ever heard, by the way. <laughs> yes. That you think cilantro tastes like, so that's, I mean, it just, it, it just goes to show of uh, uh, what, we, uh, what we experience and how we perceive it differently with our senses. It's, I, I, honestly, I could have an entire podcast about this. This is fascinating. Yeah, if only people were willing to accept differences in other things the way they're willing to accept mm-hmm. differences in taste. <laughs> exactly. Preach. Dan Burke says, so it seems like certain fans in the Denver market have started their yearly routine. One of them, let's just call him Liesel Cammy, said the Broncos would be lucky to have a top 15 defense this season. But Logan Ryan, a slow aging slot corner who gave up the most yards and 20 plus yard plays from the slot, Will be the Bron- would put the Broncos back into the top 10 defense range. Considering that the Broncos finished top 10 in most metrics last year, including the number one red zone defense, they're getting some key starters back, adding better depth to the defensive line, 
and it's the second year in Vic's system, is there any way the Broncos' defense falls off a cliff to the point where they're lucky to be in the top 15? Or is it just hating for the sake of hating? The only way they fall out of the top 15 is they have like, if they have like five or six starters get hurt. Yeah, or two corners. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems unlikely. Seems yeah, unlikely. Or, or, if, or if like their right tackle opts out or, or something like that. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of why you'd think that. I mean, did, do you think the team lost that much when it exchanged Chris Harris Jr. for A.J. Boye? even though Boye is a better scheme fit. I mean, that's the only, that's the only rationale I can think of for saying this thing, this defense isn't going to be in the top 15. And it's not saying like they might fall out. It's saying they're lucky to be in the top 15. That's where yeah. you really lose me. They'd be unlucky to be outside of the top 15, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I certainly think they're a top half defense. I think a lot of things have to go wrong for that not to be the case. From Tommy Burns. Bronco, hey guys, I was sitting and came across a Facebook memory. There's a picture of me with my Champ Bailey jersey, the blue alternate, and some Broncos PJs on after the OT win against Pittsburgh when DT took it all the way. I remember it so vividly because I was in high school and I was with my girlfriend at the time. She was a Steelers fan. I went wild after all was said and done. Only downside was that her one-year-old sister was sleeping on upstairs. Oops. Needless to say, I left shortly after like do you left the relationship or just the house uh now for my question what sports moment really stuck out to your mind in your mind when you were in high school preferably with your favorite sports teams but others can be considered stay safe everyone do your part wear the mask cheers tommy bronco this one is super duper duper easy for me uh it's gonna be the same for me as well game 163 (laughs) (laughs) game 163 for the rockies matt holiday unequivocally touching home plate no doubt about it. Rockies go to the playoffs. Yeah, you know what? This just shows my age because it's 1992. Sid Bream actually touching home plate. None of that Matt Holiday faux touch thing for the Braves to win Game Seven of the NLCS against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Huh? Yeah, both players definitely touched home plate. That's all I know. <laughs> um, how about this though? In terms of memories that you'll never forget that stick out to you. I will never, ever, ever forget that the first Avs watch party at the DNVR bar resulted in the latest (laughs) goal in regulation time in hockey history, a game winner with 0.1 seconds on the clock. It's, I mean, it's actually unbelievable that it's even possible to score that late. And honestly, if, if it went down to hundredths, it might have been scored with one hundredth of a second left on the clock. Uh, just an absolutely unreal moment, something I'll never, ever forget for the rest of my life. So, so cool, and what a way for the Avs to start back up again. Destiny, baby. They've got destiny. <laughs> yes, certainly, certainly do. Amo Wright or Amarillo says, My boys, I'm back from the mountains. I wouldn't say we exactly slaughtered the fishing this year, but – a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work, and we still came home with enough to make a decent meal of jalapeno trout for all of us. That sounds great. Ooh, I enjoy yeah. mine with a nice RK special. Yup, I, I was finally it. able to find Strawberry Sky, and it lived up to the hype. My parents even happened to be visiting Colorado last week, and I popped in for a surprise visit. Man, what an awesome week. I once again can 
am convinced I could spend the rest of my life living in a tent in those mountains and be happier than a pig in, well, you know the expression. Thank you, Colorado, for the hospitality. Can't wait till next time. Amorite or Amarillo? That's, that's awesome. Jalapeno trout. Yeah. Sign mm-hmm. me up for what for that. I don't even know how that works, but I want it <laughs> in my mouth. Um and by the way, make sure you head over to WGT. Go to go to dnvrgolf.com to sign up for WGT. And we actually were all playing our round while we were at the DNVR bar. Uh yesterday there was like four of us going hole by hole. It was pretty intense. I ended up shooting 39, which like eh, not terrible, but I could not putt to save my life, which is pretty frustrating, especially since yesterday I played real golf in the morning, and it was very similar to my WGT round. I hit a ton of great shots from the fairway and just couldn't make birdie putts. It was so frustrating. In fact, I actually had an eagle putt from like 10 feet that I missed as well. That was that was uh, off a of par four. I drove the green. It was pretty awesome. But uh, it, was, it was frustrating to do that on the real golf course and then do it on WGT. But um, – no matter what, it's always fun to get a tournament of WGT in. You can go join the DNVR 3 clubhouse because, well, they only allow us to put 250 members in each clubhouse in, in each country club, and uh, we've already filled up two of them. So if you're in the DNVR family, you want to be playing with us because most of us, are, or at least a large chunk of us, are over there playing. So join us. Go to DNVR Golf and download WGT and play along with us. Ryan, I wish I could be missing birdie putts. I wish I had the opportunity to miss birdie putts. My WGT game has gone down the hole, even though I've been playing more than ever over this past year. Something that I have been spot on with, though, is taking care of my teeth. And you guys can all take care of your teeth with a trip to Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood. They're only a 15-minute drive from downtown Denver. And here's the best part. If you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam with Green Mountain Dental, they'll give you a free Sonicare toothbrush. So take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental to hand over a free Sonicare toothbrush. Make sure to check them out. Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood. Sign up for that cleaning, x-ray, and exam, and you'll get that free Sonicare toothbrush. All right, moving on here. Next one's here is from Breck Drew again. He says, what's up, guys? Crazy weekend. Sports are back. So my question is the Broncos do the Bronc is the Broncos appear to be doing everything possible to keep players safe from COVID. Is it safe to assume all the teams are doing so as well? Hard to tell because so many national journalists seem to be pushing a negative narrative. Thanks, guys. I think it's not that the teams aren't doing everything to keep their players safe when they're on site. I think the skepticism comes from what happens when they're off site and you have, for example, with Major League Baseball doing something similar to the NFL, allowing players to go home at night and also having travel. You have reports that uh, there are Marlins players that were out and about in Atlanta when they were playing an exhibition series a week and a half ago, leading to which may have led to their outbreak. And even some speculation, I believe uh, at least one former player noted this on Twitter, speculation that, that some St. Louis Cardinals players were at a casino and now they're dealing with their own COVID outbreaks. So I think the teams and, and the league, I, I give the teams in particular credit, the NFL teams, what they're doing on site is tremendous. The worry, I believe, is that play is that not every player is going to follow the protocols and all it takes is one not following protocol bringing COVID in and starting an outbreak and that's where the concern lies yeah but in terms of the Broncos the Broncos they're doing everything they can inside their facility that's for sure Mm -hmm. 
That's from Love Thunder down under, he's channeling what I was just talking about. He said, man, Nazem beeping Kadri almost beeping killed me with that play. Unbeeping, believable. Hope he's uh, hope the roof is back on the bar. Would hate to see the place get rained out. I mean, it was awesome, uh, and it's cool because you know you if you watch the video from inside the bar, you see people in there wearing masks. Uh, it was weird because you guys know my favorite thing in sports is hugging strangers, and that was 100% a hugging strangers moment. And uh, there was no stranger hugging that went on at the bar, but you know we we followed protocols. We're only allowed 50 people in there, but 50 you know. If you've ever seen uh, stadiums that are smaller, but the fans can get loud, that's what happened at the DNVR bar yesterday. Small crowd, but they let their voices be heard. Uh, when that goal went in, it was a, it was a, just an awesome experience. Oh, yeah, it was. And, again, what a way to kick off the, the restart. He says, hockey's back, and my, and my word, it'll be fun two months, but I need football. Can you guys spend two to three minutes talking more in detail about what we'll see at camp when you'll be attending and the overall flow? I really, really, really want to understand just how fast KJ is, how much separation JJ gets. I figured we should start getting the feeling uh, for that when they do one-on-ones out of pads. Yeah, I would love to tell you uh, about how when we're going to be attending and the overall flow of camp and who's going to be there and when it's going to start and all that good stuff, but we have literally no idea. <laughs> Other than what May said about pads go, uh, are allowed to go on on August 17th. Yeah, I mean, we presume that uh, we're going to have a presence out there, and it sounds like uh, if if we are able to see it, that it's we're going to be sitting – on top of the hillside where we'd normally be the plaza. And you know what? You get out with your binoculars and you'll be able to see just fine. It's actually a pretty good angle from up there to, to watch practice. But, uh, yeah, still working out the details. But when they, when they start practice, assuming it's open, our coverage will be comprehensive. Without a doubt. I will tell you, KJ is very fast and JJ will get a lot of separation. Next yep. one from, oh, from the count, Mace. Yeah. Yep. Count Locula, with this dean led by emotional leaders like Kareem Jackson and Alexander Johnson, additions of Jarrell Casey and some new Von Miller musculature, love that word, can this team return to some smash-mouth football? Even Locke seems more kaboom than finesse. What do you think the identity of this team will be? Love the count. Dude, kaboom Jackson is kind of a sick nickname. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. <laughs> yeah, the Texans would agree based on what they experienced on the business end last December when he when he brought the wood. I think Philip you know, Lindsay the, would yeah, agree with it as well. I think the identity of this team is going to be it's evolving, and I I expect early in the season this team is going to be a little bit of a, a grinding team. Running ga- run game, defense, maybe the ability to execute the play action or beat you over the top to complement that. I think it, I could see it evolving offensively into something that's wide open maybe the second half of this season on into 2021. I think the, the identity is, is being forged, though, and I think part of it is you have so many young players. They're still learning their strengths, what they can do best, and so – the idea, the identity of this team feels like it's something that's in, in transition, which could be a positive. It, it has the ability to be a little bit of a chameleon because I think they'll be able to run the ball no matter what. But if they can, if they, if they can improve the vertical passing game and, uh, and use that as a confidence of the running game, it, could, it becomes a team that could be pretty dynamic. If they can run the ball no matter what, and your right tackle, who was your best tackle, just opted out for the season, 
could it be more of a running team than we have even talked about than really anyone is expecting, especially because you have two Pro Bowl running backs? It's possible. It's definitely possible. Um, Wouldn't be shocked to see that. Yeah, especially – I don't know. It just depends on – have they signed Dotson yet? (laughs) Not (laughs) yet. (laughs) Jeez, what are they waiting for? Um, Yeah, it's going to depend on who you have over there and what their strengths are. Uh, because maybe you find a guy who's a good pass blocker but a, not a very good run blocker. I don't know. And maybe you're just going to roll with Calvin Anderson. And Good Lord. <laughs> How about now? Have they signed him? No, still not? Okay. Have, have, right. Wait, have, have we got a, uh, a quiet emoji from uh, Calvin Anderson yet on Twitter? No. <laughs> you're probably going to respond that to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, his la- Calvin Anderson's last tweet is uh, from last Friday. It says, every day is another page to your story, and then a pencil emoji. Oh, maybe he knew. Maybe Juwan was uh, – Calvin was one of the ones Juwan reached out to. And then earlier last week, he, he had a tweet of him wearing a mask that had fangs on it. Oh, scary. And it says, no bark, all bite, year two, and then the – Hmm. Hashtag. hashtag oh, he knew. <laughs> hashtag Broncos country. Hmm. Wow. And he sent off all these tweets while solving a Rubik's cube with one hand. Behind his back, <laughs> eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, from the other Ryan, my boys. I hope that each of you had a wonderful weekend. While the Nuggets game was a major letdown, it was nice to have Denver basketball back. And I don't think I've ever been so excited to see you guys running up a hill in my entire lifetime than yesterday. When Broncos rookies and veteran continued their conditioning work, it did bring a tinge of sadness. However, as the grassy berm they're running up is such an important locale for me for each summer and for so many Broncos fans who attend training camp. Now, now that the Broncos have finally parted ways with Jeff Hireman, what will they do with the 3.3 million in savings? Hopefully they just, they they just sent it to uh, Dotson. (laughs) What's his first name? I already forgot. DeMar. DeMar DeMar Dotson. DeMar Dotson, not to be confused with former Nugget DeMar Johnson. Yeah. Uh, do you guys think they'll just roll over it till next year's salary cap, especially with the anticipated significant decline in 2020 cap? Well, no, we don't. We think they're going to use it on Dotson. Right now. <laughs> I, I, I hope so, although Mike Kliss is tweeting out that uh, right now the Broncos are going to go ahead with Elijah Wilkinson at right tackle. But you know what? We'll see. Remember Evan Mathis came in halfway through a preseason to shore up a guard spot and started in, in week one when the Broncos brought him in back in 2015. So we've seen, we've seen late acquisitions help this team out. Think about, say, a, a Dan Copen who was a waiver claim, um, Keith Brooking who came in midway through camp. So with that, I wouldn't close the door on the Broncos bringing in a tackle at some point. That'd be cool if uh, Elijah Wilkinson was even available. I was going to say, don't forget he's on the PUP Broncos. He can't practice right now. Speaking of PUP, PUP, that's terrible. He says, I leave you all uh, with a quote to start the work with, quote to start the work week, and his training camp ramps up for us, former Denver Broncos great Jerry Rice. Okay, well, he wasn't great with the Broncos, but his legacy – attest to this remark quote today i'll do what others won't to accomplish what others can't dnv army salute well put mm, like it love it 
VR, though, says disappointed but not surprised with the Juwan James news. Tackle bros have been proven correct. As excited as I am for Hamler, Josh Jones was likely the correct decision with our second rounder. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah, hindsight. Yeah, but jo- yeah, Josh Jones was raw, though. I don't know if Josh Jones would have been ready to start this year. You would have been kind of just crossing, would be crossing your fingers with him. It, he would be starting, but you would have been crossing your fingers a little bit. That He's somebody that I think really needed a year of seasoning before he'd be ready to be an effective yeah, tackle. I think you're right there, Mace. And, I mean, hindsight is 2020 with a global pandemic causing your right <laughs> tackle to opt out. Like, come on now. Like, in the end, KJ Hamler is going to be dope. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Judy is going to allow Drew Locke to get rid of the ball a lot faster. Uh, and once they sign DeMar Dotson – uh, all of our problems would be alleviated. You also have to take a step back and, and take a, a big picture look when you're talking about a second round pick. Josh Jones right now, yeah, but probably would have been uh, more welcome to this team and helped them more this year with this news of Juwan James opting out. But for the future, I, I'm not ready to say that that they should have taken Jones just because of this happening. And I think last one coming in from Maybe the dingo ate your baby. Mace, did well I get done, it? Zach. I'm so <laughs> proud of you, Zach. <laughs> he says, is there an option in the supplemental draft worth the pick? Well, there is there no is supplemental, no supplemental draft. draft. <laughs> <laughs> and if there was, it would have happened a month ago. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, I guess you could do it now for Caleb Farley if you, if you, if they, you really want to, but the NFL has said no supplemental draft. They didn't want to encourage guys to opt out, uh, and they and there was some feeling that a supplemental draft would have encouraged some college players to try to to come out on mass early and uh, be a part of the 2020 season. So they held that back. Although it's interesting to talk about Caleb Farley in particular, a potential uh, late first round pick, early second round pick at corner next year. He had some very pointed comments about how Virginia Tech was going about its off-season workouts as far as having guys in close close proximity and players going down to Myrtle Beach and coming back and no social distancing and all that and he said that contributed to his decision to not play the 2020 season and just go straight to the draft next year. Is there anything that they've chosen to supplement the supplemental draft? (laughs) (laughs) Not that I've heard of no but that's a good question. Okay well the Broncos (laughs) need to figure out how they're going to supplement the right tackle position. Um, all right. Well, I believe that wraps it up for us today on the DNVR Broncos podcast. A crazy day. And you probably need to head down to Davidson's and get yourself some hard, hard liquor and have yourself a drink, uh, to, to tie the time until the Broncos finally, uh, sign DeMar Dotson. It's been almost 30 minutes now and I cannot believe they still haven't done it. Uh, so we will wait patiently as they make, uh, work to make that move. But until then, you can find a location, Centennial is a location in Highlands Ranch for Davidson's, the best damn liquor store in the area. So head down there and get whatever you may need. Maybe you just want some breakfast too, as well. So anyways, that's going to wrap it up for us today. We leave you with this message. Sign Damar Dotson right now, please. Have a good day.